All right, everybody, before we dive into today's episode, we are brought to you by two headline sponsors, the first one being Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. They're gluten-free, keto-friendly, and contain only one gram of sugar. These have become a staple in our house as we look to have a healthy diet and want products that if we do feel like having that sweet or you know having a cheat meal or just a cheat snack, um, something that's not going to completely ruin our diet. So Elite Sweets have become that. Uh, it's a donut. It tastes delicious. It tastes just like those shitty donuts that you're used to growing up, except these ones are, are high in protein, gluten-free, they're keto-friendly for all you keto dieters out there. And most importantly, in my mind, uh, they only contain one gram of sugar. So get yours today at EliteDonut.com or on Amazon. If you use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout, you'll get 30% off your order. And that code works on both Amazon and EliteDonut.com. Again, that code is ShaneWhite30, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mostly just from sweating while you sleep, which is something I did not know before I started working with the guys over at Routine. They've come up with a product that they call Morning Routine. It's a single-serve packet that I take every morning, and it contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. Most people wake up, they grab that cup of coffee first thing in the morning. What most people don't realize is if you wake up dehydrated, which is easy to do when you, uh, when you wake up from a, a long night's sleep, uh, your body sweats and expels a lot of vapors while you're sleeping. Instead of grabbing that cup of coffee, try grabbing a morning routine packet. Each of these, as I mentioned, uh, is made up of all these great ingredients that helps rehydrate you in the morning, get your metabolism going once again. Uh, I just take one of these little, there's little single serve packets, tear one open, throw it into, you know, just a shaker bottle or 20 ounces of water, shake it up and drink it. First thing in the morning, you feel a difference. You really do feel hydrated again. You can tell the difference when you use the product and then go off of it again, the difference you feel first thing in the morning. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. You can go to yourroutine.com and use code ShaneWhite30. Again, Shane White 30, same coupon code as the last brand, Elite Suites. If you use code Shane White 30 at checkout on yourroutine.com, you can get 30% off your first order. All right, everybody. I have a great guest coming up next, and I will talk to you in just a second. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I'm pumped today to talk to Blake Wiley. Blake, welcome to the show. Hey, Shane. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, for everyone listening who doesn't know who you are, would you mind giving everyone a little bit of a background into you and Access Capital and, and everything you're doing? Sure. Uh, yeah, Blake Wiley um, in uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, we uh, invest in a variety of different businesses, uh, primarily uh, food, beverage, uh, pet, uh, personal care, and apparel companies. Uh, started off being more kind of 
Texas-based or, you know, Austin uh, emerging brands and then uh, kind of went national after that. So, uh, okay. yeah, invest, uh, you know, check size is typically uh, kind of a range, 500000 to $15 million, uh, sometimes a little more. And uh, we have a committed fund that we invest out of as well as uh, SPV uh, investments as well, which we can get into. Awesome. Very, very cool. Um, I, the first question, and I really, the impetus, which I, I know I reached out to on LinkedIn and told you this too. Um, a lot of the guests I've had on here are founders of the types of brands that you're interested in investing in. Um, and my background's in finance. This podcast, when I kicked it off during COVID, just to give you a little bit of a background, Blake, um, it was very finance focused. Um, I worked at RX Bar at the time. And so it was more about investing and personal finance and just more of that overall I guess, realm, I would say. Um, but lately I've been thinking it'd be really, really cool to have someone like you on just to give a lot of my audience who, again, is a lot of the CPG food and beverage space, the people that are running these brands, um, to learn more about what goes through your process. And it, and personally, uh, I've always loved this space and, and have gotten more and more interested in it as I've worked with brands um, and just seeing it on the other side once they close deals. And then obviously... While I worked at our X bar, seeing that massive deal close um, was was a fun experience. So I'm excited um, for everyone listening. Would love to know. Obviously, it's what you do now. What? How did you get into this? Like, what was the zero to one story for you? Like, is this what you've always done, or did you do something else before Access Capital and investing? Yeah, de definitely not the typical path. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, investors pride themselves. Um, you know that they were founders, right? So they can they can. Uh, you know, view the company from the founder's perspective. They know what the founder's going through and uh, the peaks and valleys, highs and lows and all that. And that's, that's definitely not me. I always tell uh, founders I'm, I'm just in awe of them. Um, yeah, I've never been the person that can look out at the world and say, you know what's missing is, is this product that I'm going to go create out of thin air and everybody's going to add it to their daily routine. Um, that's, that's just not me. Um, you know, I've definitely, uh, even from a young age, was more kind of... Uh, trend spotting and um, felt like a little bit of ability to maybe see around the corner what's uh, what's coming next uh, type situation and then really uh, get behind those uh, you know get behind those those companies and, and help uh, drive growth for them so I'm, uh, you know I'm always in awe of founders um, I love investors that are former founders that, that just wasn't me I started off uh, growing up in a small town out in West Texas I went to school down in Austin at the University of Texas. Uh, start off in the uh, oil and gas business is mm. uh, pretty cliche growing up in West Texas. <laughs> and, uh, I had a buddy in uh, 2009 that had sold a, a tea company and uh, he was down in Austin and classic uh, startup story. Um, you know, great idea, a very small amount of capital and grew that into a very successful business. Uh, was, was starting his second uh, venture and so it was kind of by accident really at first and then very intentionally after that. Um, he just went around to friends and said, "Hey, you know, uh, I'm about to uh, about to uh, kind of get the band back together and launch this other business that I think could be successful." And that was my first foray into you know what a pre-money valuation was, what a liquidation preference was, a convertible note, uh, you know, all these all these terms that uh, weren't necessarily in the energy business. And uh, started off investing my own personal capital into that business, the serious business, and uh, similar businesses, which was not. Uh, much money at all had to kind of beg, beg borrow and steal uh to to get started uh thought i had uh 
shortly thereafter, I thought I had the, the right uh, deal flow that would be attractive to uh, investors that um, that didn't look at, at CPG deals all the time. So uh, that original investment led on to uh, some other opportunities that we followed up with, and then I formalized access capital. Uh, left the left the energy business in in 2015. Uh, formalized access capital, and really what I saw was being in North Texas. You know, I talked about buddies in Austin, and everybody in Austin looks at these type of businesses every day. Okay, yeah. That's not that's not how it works, right? Dallas is a very hard asset town. It's it's energy, it's real estate, and it's banking. And if you're not one of those three people, just don't know what box to put you in. And uh, so. Uh, you know, every bone in my body kept telling me to get back down to Austin, move back down to Austin. And then I looked at it and, and kind of did an analysis of the amount of capital that's, that is in, in North Texas and Dallas that um, might be interested in an asset class that's, that's not correlated to uh, those other, uh, other asset classes and has the potential to provide outlier type returns. Uh, planted the flag here and we've become uh, somewhat of a, a beacon for the uh, kind of North Texas investing community and C definitely the CPG community. That is super cool. So for you, yeah, I mean, like starting off putting your own capital in, was it more of a, you're sitting there, you have a buddy who thinks he has a good idea and you're like, yeah, I think this is a decent idea. And, and so you, I mean, what was that process like? I, I, Cause I've done a few small investments like that now too. And yeah. You know, me being a finance guy, obviously, I wanted to do a lot of due diligence. But that first deal for you, was it as much due diligence as you're doing today? Or was it more of just like, hey, I trust you. Like, I think, you know, if it doesn't work, whatever, but you're my buddy and I want to see if this works. It, it, that first one was betting the jockey and hoping he was riding a winning horse is what it was. Okay. Uh, totally believed in the founder. Um, didn't know. I mean, there was not due diligence. There was a, a similar product that had come to market. Um, that was using bad ingredients, high fructose corn syrup, all these bad things. And we were spending a lot of time on boats in Austin at the time. And, uh, you know, friends kept showing up on the boats carrying this bad product that was terrible for you and gave you a terrible hangover. And he said, you know what, I can make a better, better, much, much better version of that that has that Austin uh, identity to it. So that, oh, that, was cool. really the, that was really the due diligence. And then the biggest part of due diligence was coming up with the capital to make that investment right. And, uh, having to go uh, to uh, family really and, and ask for, you know, I have this much, I'd like to invest this much. Can I get a, a personal loan, you know, kind of uh, situation. And unfortunately uh, it, it, it worked out, you know, but which is uh, a, bless, a blessing and a curse, right? Cause I kind of tell people it's like going to Vegas your first time and you don't have any <laughs> money, and you, you know, you win $5,000 playing blackjack. You think, well, I'm the, Extraordinary blackjack player, and so uh, there were some a few lessons uh, after that. Um, just kind of some uh, uh, too much risk that we took immediately following that, when we we're uh, maybe investing in um, a pre-revenue type beverage company. You know, something that was uh, had similarities to the original business, but just wasn't didn't have all the magic didn't come together. And, and uh, fortunately, that was still with uh, personal capital and not. Uh, you know, investors capital, but since we've, um, formalized access capital and, and, uh, taken, um, you know, other people's hard earned money and tried to grow those investments, we've had a really, really strong track record. That's really, really interesting. Um, Blake, one thing that comes to mind as you're telling that story, that first investment you made and you said, you said you took out personal loans with family and friends. So was your concept there? Cause I had never thought about doing it that way that you're borrowing from them at a low interest rate. 
and then your hope is that the company sells, you make a lot, and then you pay them back, and then they make their interest, or how did it, or do they have part still, of the equity? Yeah, I, I was no, I was, I was still, I was still a young guy, and and uh, I think I had uh, a passion and uh, and really uh, whether it was misplaced or I mean, it ended up being right, but I had a strong belief that that this was the best place I could possibly put a dollar, but I need this many dollars to put in it. And, um, and I was a young guy in the energy business, not making a lot of money. And so I, I would just pay him back, uh, uh, with a small amount of interest and, uh, pay mm. him back over the next kind of 12, 12 months. So, wow. Very cool. Yeah. No, it's just really, I mean, it's, it's funny. There's like so many ways to fund things, right? So even that example for people who are listening, I, you know, I get that question sometimes from folks of just like, how do you even get involved? But it's a good example of you just kind of figured it out and it, you did it. Bank, bank borrowing still, you know, and it was kind of, I mean, you know, there's probably not a chapter written in, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad to, to do it the way that I did. <laughs> that's, that's how it happened. So. Right, right. And yeah. so, so that must have been, like you just said, that was a little taste of, of what can happen, you know, with, with this type of industry. To me, it still feels like I would love to know the leap, like the leap from going from, it sounds like maybe not paying very well, but probably a pretty a sturdy uh, business or job in the energy business to then jumping to start your own access capital, your own investment firm. Um, yeah. What was some of the, what was some of the process there? Like just making that jump. I'm sure that was a, a big decision. Uh, it, it was, uh, I mean, it was really the 80, 20 rule. Um, you know, I was, um, Spending eighty percent of my time on—I I, never—my heart was never really in, in the energy business. Um, I did it because coming out of college, uh, the most successful guy I knew at the time offered me a job, and so of course I'm going to go go work for him. Um, and uh, but I, you know, it never it never completely made a lot of uh, sense to me. I you know I couldn't look at um, you know engineering. Uh, engineering and geology maps and, and figure out, you know, I knew, I knew finance and I knew how to raise capital and those things, um, you know, but I knew the financial return aspect of it, but not the kind of geology and engineering aspect of it. Sure. It may, kind of felt like uh, maybe I was living someone else's life or something and, um, and uh, spent 80% of my time. And at the end of the year, I looked and it was 20% of my income. And then on, on the CPG consumer side, I was spending 20% of my time whenever we'd have an opportunity to come along that looked compelling, I could chase it. And it was 80% of my income. And, you know, you do a, a you know, 12 to 18 months of that, you, you realize, okay, well, if I spent a hundred percent of my time over here, um, and it just always, uh, you know, being able to, to fund and finance a, a founders and entrepreneurs vision and dream and, and be on that, that ride was something, uh, you touch, you taste, you feel, you know, going to a friend's house and the wife pulls out, uh, you know, what a, a cracker, right. Mm -hmm. and, or a chip. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like, why do you buy that? And they, well, Oh, it's incredible. And they have these flavors in there. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, we invested in that company six months ago. Like, and that happened time and time again. Right. And so that's what I love about, about, uh, CPGs. You can, you can follow it on, you know, social media. It's, Touch it, taste it, feel it. You go to the store. Is the shelf empty? Is the shelf full? Is are people buying? You know, or what are people saying about it? What are the comments? And you just can't do that in real estate, right? I, right. You know, I have a, an investor told me one time. He said, "You know, I never get excited that I own ten percent of an industrial building in Irving, Texas, out here." You know, <laughs> that's but, true. Uh, you know, I think the trade-off is uh, right. Those other asset classes are like a you know, a, a monthly or a quarterly dividend check and you can kind of 
track it in real time. And um, ours isn't that. Ours is we're growing, we're growing. Okay, it just got marked up because this new investment came in and revenue is way up. Profitability is right around the corner. Just got more distribution and all those things. And so, uh, and then you hope that you, you somehow could monetize. You know, if you have a good business, it, it you, you monetize it. Uh, one way or the other. I will bring up because you mentioned uh, kind of the current environment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is a conversation. I'm sit on the board of Venture Dallas, and we had our big conference last week. And um, some of these uh, families that have historically invested in, you know, in oil and gas, it's it, it, it's got the difference is, it, it, and the, I think in those kind of cyclical industries, whenever prices are low, is like when you want to buy, right? When you want to come in, and, and venture right. isn't that. Uh, I mean. Ventures like oh it can go to zero like you know you, you don't there's not really like the perfect time to to really enter or exit right you can can never time it perfectly. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, on that note, it, it does seem I would love to get your perspective. You're obviously at the at the grassroots of it, and then I told you what you know what I do with my agency. We're on the I would call it the front lines where. I'm seeing across a variety of brands what sales online are doing and what the trends are. And one thing that's been really interesting, just and again, I'm always very careful about what I hear, right? Because it's always anecdotal and it's everyone's got a different perspective depending on what you're reading. You know, it seems like there's a lot of sen sentiment out there today that investing cash is drying up. It's getting harder and harder to raise capital. And to some degree, I'm sure that is true. But what's been really interesting to see it again, I'm on the e-commerce side of things. Sales just continue to grow across the different categories that like they haven't slowed down at all. And typically November is a month where, especially for better for you, food and beverage, I see a ton of drop off. Just people are, you know, they're more worried about the holiday eating and gift giving than they are buying better for you food and beverage brands. Um, this year is the first year that I've ever seen where November is outpacing a lot of brands October. Um, and we're seeing that across a lot of studies that me and my, my business partner follow. Um, it's been really interesting to see because I think it kind of is counterintuitive to what is happening in other sectors and, and just fundraising in general. But on your side of the fence, how does it look for you? Like, do you feel like there's a lot of opportunity out there? Do you feel like cash is kind of drying up? And be really curious for you and your actual firm what things have looked like and changed over the last year. Yeah, you know, we we have a, 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 a ultra high threshold for dollars out the door right now. And so it's um, it's. Uh, it's a little different, um, you know, writing those checks. It's definitely no, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, like, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's no longer like, well, I, you know, here's all the opportunities in front of us. These are the no, these are the definite yes. And these are the, you know what, I could, I could see how that could work. Let's put a smaller check in. There's not really any of that going on. It's really, um, a hundred percent really high conviction okay um, it's either a hell yeah or hell no kind of thing right yeah yeah uh, yeah you know really uh, i mean you know profitable uh businesses or, or line of sites profitability uh, a lot of changes you know going on in the industry it's, it's tough from ios update to um to, i mean uh, inflation to uh, labor shortages to transportation costs and uh that's what makes cpg different than tech right? tech i can make something and you know sell it a million times on a on a phone, uh, yeah. you know, our, we have real products that have to like be manufactured and they have to sit on a truck and get to where they're sold at. And then the grocery store has to sell them. But, you know, to the trends that you're speaking, I mean, we're seeing the similar things, you know, everybody's, um, 
keeps waiting for this uh, big recession to hit. We all know, you know, like, uh, you know, amounts of debts on credit cards are at all time high. And so people are continuing to spend and, and, uh, you know, but that feels like maybe, uh, something's coming, but I think with the categories that, that we're in, you know, if big recession hits, I don't think that people are going to s- stop drinking less water, you know, yeah. um, you know, what I see that spending is probably, and I look at my own personal budget monthly, our families, is I think people probably are eating out at restaurants less and mm-hmm. eating in more, which drives them to the grocery store aisle more, which gets velocity of revenues up for, you know, brands, package brands that, that we're in, right? And so I think we're seeing that, I, you know, going into 2023, I wouldn't want to own, you know, a bunch of high-end hospitality. I probably wouldn't want to own a bunch of, you know, restaurant uh you know, I just, I think people are going to be, families will be eating in more and maybe that drives more trial, you know, and uh, when, when COVID, or, or, you know, March, 2020 originally hit, um, it was hard to drive trial because everybody went to their core, you know, they went yeah. straight to the uh, core products that they, they could trust, they were familiar with and could trust. But I think today, now that we're going into potentially a recession, it's more, um, they'll, I think, try, I think you'll see a lot more trial. Uh, okay. People yeah. Aren't, people aren't running to the grocery store because they they need to shelter in place right now. They're they're going there because they're trying to cut back on you know spending out at restaurants and things like that. That makes a ton of sense. I could totally see that being the case. Um, and I would think channels across the board, e-commerce, retail, all of those will see a little bit of a, a bump from that. You know, I could totally yeah. see that. For we, you, we, I know. You know, we watch like uh, uh, you know consumers trading down, right? And um, you know, maybe instead of the name brand sparkling water, they're buying the private label sparkling water, you know, but we have some businesses that, that do that as well. So it's, uh, we feel overall, we feel what I've been telling people is everything that we can control with is within our control. We feel great about where the businesses are, um, our selection of businesses and check sizing into those businesses. Uh, we feel great about that. All the stuff that's outside of our control that, Whatever I do doesn't can't affect it. I mean, I just can't uh, stay up at night worrying about those things. You know, one hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, one of the things that was really interesting is I was I was doing a little research, and this is just my two cents. Um, for the the firm that you've created, one thing that if, I went back to a couple different interviews that I watched of you over the years. Um, you guys have always, it seems like, been very profit focused. Which, in my mind, if I was ever in your shoes just genuinely would make a ton of sense to me. I've always actually been very, I've always been very intrigued by a lot of the the funds that have been investing in really low profit firms or just companies in general. Um, and that seems like that's, that's changed a lot in the last year. So for you, is that something you see a lot in your industry in general? Um, it seems like that sentiment has almost done a 180 in the last 12 to 18 months of, of firms that were investing in low profit or negative margin businesses to now being very, very profit focused. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we just, uh, and that probably comes from, um, you know, having kind of cut my teeth in the, in the energy business where, you know, uh, it'd be very hard to sell somebody a, an oil and gas property and say, Hey, this, uh, you know, the, this property is losing $10,000 a month. Would you like to buy it? Uh, you know, nobody's going to buy it. Right. Right. Uh, and so I think pro- probably that is where that comes from. Um, you know, running profitable businesses just have, has always made sense to us. You know, we don't 
want to own a business that, it, you know, costs $20 to generate $10. Um, right. Uh, it's, uh, it's just, you know, whatever, no matter the, the growth rate, um, you know, and, and there's, there are some, you know, categories that we've invested, you know, uh, food delivery is a, <laughs> I'll even say people delivery, delivering anything from one person's door to the next is just expensive. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so those are businesses that we, that, you know, that we kind of, uh, you know, stay away from, but, um, yeah, we, I mean, we love profitable businesses because when the tide goes out, kind of like it has, um, you know, we have, uh, at least two and probably a third business that are public market ready today that, um, are, you know, the IPO markets, closed for business. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but they're profitable, right? So they can keep operating and they don't have to rely on the next $200 million round of funding to come in to keep offsetting the losses. They can keep operating out of cash flow, op- grow the business. And it, you know, it may take us an extra 12, 24 months to monetize than what we originally underwrote. But um, theoretically that exit should be bigger at that point because it's right. Profitable. Business that has since grown revenue another, you know, 80 to 100%. 100%. So for you, I mean, that's really, yeah, that's interesting to think about because to your point, as the tide goes out, the businesses that right now they're in an environment where they're not making enough money and they need the next round of capital to stay alive. I mean, a lot of those are going to die, right? I mean, oh. just inevitably, um, unless they change something quickly, because if they can't raise money, they're going to be out of money. Yeah. Very interesting. So, so for you, I mean, I, and I, and I know you, you, the profitability piece is huge. Um, but for anyone listening who maybe is a founder, um, who's looking for funds, what are some of the, like, I don't know, key three to five things that you Blake kind of run through a company's, whether it's their P and L, um, strategy, just totally curious at a high level, like what are some of the really big key takeaways for you that are the most important when you're evaluating a brand? I mean, you know, uh, I would just say kind of high level stuff is, you know, like 50% gross margin or higher, you know, um, we've seen some incredible, like incredible brands that just have really, really tight margin and it's just hard to ever get them, uh, to work. Um, uh, you know, we like to see kind of hundred percent year over year top line revenue growth, uh, is always, uh, a positive, um, you know, category leading velocities. We don't want to own the, you know, the 14th fastest selling kombucha company, right? Yeah. We want to be in the, uh, in the number one, uh, or the number two, um, you know, we look for extraordinary founders. It's, uh, you know, we don't like to invest in businesses where, uh, somebody just kind of had a good idea and, um, you know, they, they think they're going to go make this business work. We want, uh, you know, really, uh, extraordinary founders. We don't, uh, you know, we say we don't invest in, in non-dominant players. Um, mm. uh, we like people that are going to go in there and, and, uh, be the kind of the tip of the spear for their category. Uh, me personally, I love, I love brands that can, uh, can be an entire platform, uh, versus just investing in a product. Um, right. I love that. Um, there's, uh, a lot of great products out there that, everybody buys and people love, but, and those can work out great. Um, but we'd like to see, we'd rather you be, um, you know, an, an entire protein lineup of high protein cereal, high protein 
bars, uh, protein drinks, uh, if you're in energy, right? Like all the different use occasions and, and opportunities to uh, take energy throughout the day that you can, that you're a product that can really uh, expand that. So we've done, we've gone, sorry, I'm getting a glare over here. Uh, oh, you're good. We've done a few uh, kind of name changes and things with some different brands that were uh, maybe when they started the company were uh, a little too limiting. Uh, mm, maybe okay. was, uh, talked about that, you know, maybe the name of one ingredient was uh, in the name of the brand or, you know, so it couldn't expand to other, uh, you know, other categories. And so uh, those are all kind of some of the things that we, we look for initially. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I know uh, in my experience, at our X bar, for example, that was something we, the, the company as a whole spent a ton of time trying to figure out. Cause I don't know how much you know about their story, but obviously starting with the RX bar and then we launched a nut butter, launched an oatmeal, launched a different version of a bar, um, and trying to figure out how we create this platform and the platform became, it was just, uh, well, yeah, we had a couple different things, but I remember going through that cause we were like, do we call it like a nut butter RX bar nut butter? Or do you call it, and we ended up calling it RX was like our brand. Right. And then we called it RX nut butter, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Which and it allows that, you to have, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to talk over you there. Uh, no, I mean, it's exactly right. When you, when you think them, I mean, I could just see these founders when they're building them, oh, I'm going to have the biggest bar, you know, and then they get there like probably quicker than they ever thought they would. And they're like, well, shoot, what am I now? You know, and, and yeah. you, know, you always hear the saying that every time, every time uh, revenue grows 3x, and then you're a whole new company and um, different set of issues, different set of benefits and, and things like that. So totally that's true. I worry about with some of these uh, uh, kind of creator led brands, um, you know, that are uh, obviously doing incredible number, you know, numbers. Uh, you know, Jake Paul's got the prime and oh, I was uh, gonna say like celebrity kind of led. Kind of in that same vein, like when you take him, you know, somebody comes in and acquires that business and he goes off like is he an ingredient, you know, for that brand to succeed, or does he have such you know, does the following that he's created that has driven all that revenue stay with stay loyal to the brand or do they run off to the next thing? And um that's just one of the things that we're kind of watching on a lot of these kind of uh, social media type led uh, brands. I would actually love to dive into this, this area for me. Um, well, I guess a good question. Have you ever been, or did you go to Expo West this last year? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was out there. I'm at, while I was at our X bar, I never made it out there with the team. Um, I went this year with my business and me and my co-founder went. And for me, it was so eye-opening um, just to how many brands there are. First of all, number one, it's just amazing. And those are only the brands they were able to purchase and, and afford a booth, right? Like there were so many others we knew that were walking around. The one thing that stood out to me was the number of celebrity led CPG brands there versus any other year that I had heard of. Like that was a very common thing that stood out. And I know from my side of things, it does seem like that that is something that's becoming more and more common. It seems like those brands just get this huge leg up where at launch, whether it's a D2C brand or launching on Amazon or even in retail, they just have this huge social following. So inevitably day one, their sales start at a place where if someone just starts with a good idea, it's going to start way behind. But for you as an investor, is that, is that something that actually is kind of a concern? Um, just because of what you just said, like the Jake Paul example, or is that something you just try to get out if they decided to sell, you try to, you know, leave with that sale type of thing. I'm, that's really interesting. Yeah, no, it just, it depends on how, how authentic it is. Right. And like, um, and, uh, 
Yeah, just slapping a celebrity on a brand doesn't work anymore. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to be super authentic. Uh, you know, the days of, you know, Michael Jordan saying, eat your Wheaties, and everybody goes out and buys Wheaties. I think, you know, those are, those are kind of behind us uh, right. for the most part. But you look at, um, you know, what uh, Jennifer's doing over there at Once Upon a Farm, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's uh, super authentic, and it's like, yeah, she's a farmer from Oklahoma. Like, um, wants to make it better for you, healthier baby food like that right it really comes across in her lifestyle and everything that she does um but yeah you know i mean uh celebrities on a brand or one thing celebrities you know investing in a brand or you know you see that quite a bit uh you know their um, money tends to be a little greener than than other uh just people that just can write a check and so uh they get some benefit there but so, so it was funny i mean we've been in brands alongside like you know leonardo dicaprio and he's they're like, okay, well, what are you going to do? He's like, well, I'm not going to do anything. Well, can we mention you in the press release? No, don't mention me in the press release. It's like, why, why did you give us money? Oh, really? So there are some that just don't even want to, they don't want to be attached to it at all. Like, don't, don't attach my name. It's like, Interesting. Which to me is like, I mean, so maybe you really do genuinely believe in this company that it's a great, it's the best like financial return profile that you could find or is it? It is must that, be like the, they think the financial returns there, but they genuinely don't like their agenda outside of this investment doesn't align with what the brand's doing or something. That does seem yeah. weird because you think the more they talk about it and promote it, it's going to just benefit them down the road. So that's funny. And he might, he's probably a, kind of unique. It's probably not a fair assessment across the board, but sure. I, I've seen that and it's kind of uh, bizarre to me. But Yeah, no, that does seem very strange. Um well, really interesting. So, are when you when you think about the brands that are tied to celebrities or social media influencers, is it a is it a more attractive opportunity to you? Because I've I've talked to brands and worked with a few brands that are in both these categories. Is would you prefer it where the the celebrity is invested and maybe talks about it, but isn't really involved in the day to day, or do you like the ones that are? Because there are some that are like very heavily involved in the actual like day to day of the brand, and they don't necessarily have the background in it, but they want to have they want to be a part of it. I think it's too early to tell, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, you, you immediately think of, uh, you know, aviation gen and, um, Casamigos and, uh, yeah, I, th- I think celebrities probably look at that and they're like, wait, those guys made how much money, like spending mm-hmm. how, much, how much time doing that. And then it's kind of, everybody tries it at once, but I, um, I don't off the top of my head, I can't think of a lot of other, um, you know, well, I guess the, you know, the honest company that's, they've had, yeah, that's a good one. but, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's a little too early and really the three examples I gave are not like content creator. They're not creator led brand. They're really celebrity. Those are like, yeah, sure. Celebrity brand, right. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, with, with the, Content, you got uh, Onda, you know, you have um, Chamberlain Coffee, and you have some of the others that are, are uh, you know, prime. But, uh, you know, I, the, I, we had the conversation last night at an event with, you know, what Mr. Beast is doing. It's just fucking oh. yeah. So it's funny, small world, Mr. Beast, uh, the old CEO of RX Bar that came in after Peter, who started it, after he st- stepped down, Jim, who came in after, he's now the CEO of of that the, the chocolate bar company. So 
That's a good one. I know the other one that uh, an old RX, uh, my old boss actually, our CFO is now the CFO at ZOA, which that one with the rock is really interesting, yeah. right? Because like he's so involved, and he posts about it constantly, which I always yeah. like. I use them as a shining example of what can happen if you actually get a celebrity that loves the product they're actually talking about. It probably helps that his face is all over it, but. At the end of the day, like he genuinely loves that, and he posts about it every day. And it, every time he posts about it, they sell out. I mean, it's a great business model. <laughs> it his, works really well. His following is is uh, pretty extraordinary. You know, down here in Texas, we have uh, Troy Aikman, the you know the Dallas Cowboy, three oh, yeah. Super Bowl champions. He's kind of making a run in the kind of better for you beer category. But he's for some reason he's very good friends with The Rock. Oh, okay. And, uh, I guess The Rock's a former football player, but um, anyway, but The Rock's been he'll post about Troy's beer, and when you do, we see like this total lift in the brand, and you're like, oh, oh wow, man, The Rock's got this, he's got the golden touch. So, he does. Uh, his following is insane. I can't remember how many he has. He has some ridiculous number of followers. Um, yeah. That's his, cool though. I didn't even know Troy Aikman was into better for you beer. That's cool. Yeah, he, which you know, gener we're generally pessimistic about. Uh, Craft beer, um, okay. Um, just it's was one of the first kind of categories to go like ultra ultra craft and ultra like almost down to like which neighborhood you live in. Yeah, uh, like super which, super which, craft. Yeah, so it gets it, that gets really tough. But um, when I saw kind of how competitive uh, Troy was, and he's like entering this to win, not uh, to have a hobby. I mean, he's yeah. to win it, and uh, it's. I mean, they just he announced last week. He was actually one of our guest panelists at the Venture Dallas event, and he announced uh, last week it was the, uh, I guess, fastest growing craft beer ever launched in Texas. So, oh wow, we'll see, we'll see where that ends up. But uh, very cool. Yeah, it's uh, he's another one I guess that comes to mind. That yeah. Um, the only other one, I mean, I work with these guys and love these guys. They're like, it's been like a passion of mine. But um, in the CrossFit space, RX Bar obviously did a really good job of building a business on the back of really on, of that CrossFit community. Um, I work with and I've had him on the podcast before Podium, which is like a supplement company that was started by Matt Frazier and the Buttery Bros, which are like, they're like th probably three of the most well-known faces in that space, but they're the same way. Like their following is not the rock, but it's still pretty big. Like they, I think cumulatively have a few million followers. And so whenever they make videos or post anything, like they're always using the supplements and it's such an extension of their daily routine, right? Like. I've always thought like beer is like alcohol is tough because unless you're drinking every day, it's hard to always post about it. But uh, things like protein and pre-workout for guys that work out like they do constantly, yeah. um, it's so organic and part of what they're doing anyway. It's like they'd either have a brand deal or they started their own brand, um, right. which is really yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I think we'll see a situation where instead of just, um, you know, Grow, 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 cross our fingers. We hope that we can IPO or a strategic buys us or, you know, uh, kind of greater full theory, right? Yeah. It's like, I think we will see a situation with especially some of these life, uh, lifestyle type brands that, um, you know what? Now they're doing 200 million a year revenue. They're profitable businesses and they're just going to distribute $30 million a year to investors, you know? Oh, yeah. You're going to get paid and that's how uh, everybody's going to make a return on their investment. You know, I, I think that you know, we'll start to see that. Um, is that, is that something that's, it's a, I've never really thought through that. Is that something that is happening today very much? Like I feel like in the world that I live in, 
I would tell you nine out of 10 brands that I talk to, I mean, inevitably their goal is to build it like our X bar did and sell it, right? They want to like have a huge exit. That's really interesting though. If you had a really profitable base and you're able to raise capital and have an investor base that just gets paid yearly or quarterly or whatever it is on a very profitable business, that to me seems like a really interesting opportunity. Uh, we're in one of those uh, supplement business that, um, yeah, we get a, we get a quarterly, we do actually get a quarterly, uh, distribution check and it's amazing. Wow. <laughs> highly profitable business, 72% gross margin, like, uh, you know, and they distribute and when they distribute to all the investors, then the founders get their distribution and for their ownership and, uh, and you grow the business that way, you know, and that's kind of, I don't know if you know, uh, human code, Jason Cart, uh, Dan yeah. Austin. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, it's uh, kind of what he's building with, uh, with, uh, human co is kind of a platform for founders that may not want to sell their business after five years or, you know, they may want to run a profitable business for years and years and years. And, um, that's, uh, kind of what, what his part of his thesis is. So. Got it. Okay. That's really, really interesting. Is that which one to you is more appetizing given your, your, your firm and everything. Is there, is there one or the other that is more of a strategic play for you? Capital partners. You know, we don't have institutional capital that, uh, really pegs us in a, you know, five to seven year window. And, um, and so we really have, uh, you know, if we have a business that's growing 30, 40% a year and it's year 11, we're, we love that, you know, we do want to see returns at some point. And so whether they decide to, lump sum, exit, monetize that, or, uh, start making distributions. We're, we're happy either way. Got it. Very, very we're, cool. We're fine being long-term partners. So. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, to, to back up a little bit, just about your firm specifically, one question I've always been interested in learning more about. So you, you talked about your very first investment where that was, you know, some of your capital, plus you got family and friends that commit when you started access capital, how does that process work for folks who have just never learned about this side of the industry? So did, did you at that point, like you started a firm and then you go out and you try to raise money from a variety of people to start a fund and then you're ultimately responsible for doing, really doing the due diligence and passing along like, hey, this is the opportunity we want to use your cumulative funds to then invest in a brand. Is that generally how that works? Uh, generally, yes. Uh, uh, two different ways. Um, I had to start off risking my own capital because I had to build a track record that I knew uh, what the heck to look for and what was a, a good opportunity versus not a good opportunity. Sure. And I think just in, in, in North tech, I won't even say Texas, I'll say North Texas. Um, it, generally, you know, I, I feel like when people hear the word venture, cause we're, we're really early stage growth capital. We're not like true, like angel seed pre-revenue okay. pre-product type investors. Right. Um, but I think, you know, if you live in Austin and you hear the word venture, you think opportunity. And if you live in Dallas and you hear the word venture, you just think risk. Like, oh, okay. Like, it's gambling money. I'm probably going to lose it. Um, so that was a hurdle that we had to overcome, right? So um, uh, early on, I, you know, I talked to some family offices and uh, some of our uh, backers. And, you know, they said, well, what, you know, when we write a check, we'd really like to know exactly what we're buying. We want to know we're buying company XYZ. So why don't you go find company XYZ? Well, you know, you negotiate, uh, decide what you think the investment should look like, and you come to us and we'll tell you whether we're interested in backing that investment or not. Okay. Um, so that's, and then you do, 
enough of those and you have a track record and you put some, have some exits and put some points on the board and make some distributions and then they start going, you know what, you're the pro, like we don't want to make decisions, can we just allocate capital to you? And then you draw that capital whenever you see a good opportunity. Um, Got it. But then that's how we transitioned from really doing uh, maybe three SPVs a year where it was, hey, here's the opportunity, here's the here's the category, here's the team, here's the brand, here's whatever that we think we want to write a $10 million check into to, okay, let's do a committed fund. Um, and so now we actually do a combination of both where, um, you know, we have a, a $15 million committed fund, but wrote $66 million in checks uh, past 12 months. And so, oh you know, wow, can't write $66 million in checks out of $15 million. <laughs> yeah, that is isn't balance. Yeah. So it's a lot of uh, kind of SPV where uh, we think maybe uh, the appropriate size for an opportunity um, is maybe a million, a million five from the fund. Uh, but we actually would like for access capital to have a $5 million exposure into this company. Mm. And, um, and then uh, we'll have, we'll uh, fund the growth that way. Got it. Okay. So when you say that, are you, are you then borrowing money or you're going outside of the fund to raise additional funds or which, which way? I'm going to, to our, to our uh, LP base and, and saying, uh, Here's what you'll own within the fund. If you'd like to allocate uh, additional capital to this specific company, then that's what this is what it would look like. Oh, got it. Okay, very interesting. So you have a fund, and then you have additional opportunities, essentially that if a high Co worth yeah, yeah, it's co-invest SPV, it's a lot of different terms for it. But. Okay, got it, got it, got it. And then for you, and this is this is one side that I think is really interesting for people to learn too. For for you, then are you? Are you then making money and earning your living as there's big exits? It sounded like you have some deals maybe where there's some dividends, but how does it work? Or do you have like a salary? I've always been curious how venture firms, like how that all, how that all works. Like how do you make your money? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, we'll get real personal here. Yeah, uh, no, no. And don't share anything that's too personal, but just yeah. at a general philosophy. Here's your how... tax return over here. <laughs> I'm kidding. Blake's like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. And, uh, historically, uh, I mean, I'm happy to have full transparency. Um, historically, I probably had a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome and um, didn't feel like I deserved a quote-unquote management fee, especially early okay. on. And yeah. so uh, I structured all my deals as no management fee. Um, investors are going to make this preferred return. After you get 100% of your investment back plus this preferred return, then access capital will collect 20%. Um, and then after a while, you realize that uh, – you know, um, there are bills between when you make an investment and uh, when you exit an investment. And um, so with the fund, we do charge, uh, I think it's a 1% annual management fee. And then um, in the past probably year and a half, two years, we've started charging a, uh, just a 1% management fee, which is okay. uh, just a, it's an annual management fee that, uh, that you know, pay. but then once we exit the company, investors do get, their full investment back, they get uh, their preferred return back, and then uh, eighty twenty after that. So Love you it. know, whereas hedge funders may come in here in a two and twenty, and uh, crazy guys may charge three and thirty, um, we're we're like one and twenty after payout plus pref. So it's and I did that really. I never wanted to get into the AUM game. Mm -hmm. I saw too many people get, uh, and I see it today. Um, they have success with you know, their first $50 million fund and they go raise a $300 million fund and then they raise a 
$600 million fund, and they're making so much money just off clipping management fees that they get bad habits and they get kind of lazy. And oh. they're really not chasing that. They're really not, I feel like, being great stewards of the investors' assets and really trying to get to a, a, the biggest back end they, they can. They're, they're, hey, I have a, a really high AUM and make a couple million bucks a year. Yeah. You know, and uh, don't have to go to work, you know, don't have to go to work every day. And I, I never wanted to. I never wanted to, to get into that. I wanted. I felt like not. I felt like not charging a management fee or charging a very very low management fee, very minimal, um, was motivation to me to make sure that these companies uh, have super successful exits, so that we can all share in that. Uh, you know, kind of back end uh, monetization. No, I, I love that. You, 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 your whole philosophy of building your business sounds similar to what happened to me when I built mine. It's like you want to have some, you want to have your skin in the game. Um, and it, I think for that makes so much sense. I feel the same way. It's like being close to the business, actually feeling like your skin's in the game. Like it makes you work ten times harder than the guys that are probably just skimping by and and hoping a couple deals work out because they're making a bunch every, uh, every day, every month, every year, just for, for running the account. Right. That makes yeah. a ton of sense. I love that. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, so I, one of the other questions that I know we're, we're starting to get a little low on time, but I, I really wanted to ask this. I think it's really interesting for people who, again, are in the CPG space who maybe are listening to this, that, that own a brand. Um, for you, I know profitability, high margins, those are really important. And I know just from listening to you on other platforms, uh, kind of like a revenue, well, actually it'd be good to talk about it a little bit, but curious on, on what size of revenue is appetizing for you guys. And then the other one that really stands out to me, cause I've my RX story of just being there and then seeing a lot of brands now it's changed a lot. I feel like in the last 10 years, um, what is like from a, your standpoint revenue and then from a distribution perspective important, like, do you like to look at brands that have really strong e-com businesses, but still have the big, big, big retail players to unlock? Do you like to see some retail exposure and e-com? Just really curious where your head sits on like what you think the right path to market is across all the different distribution points. Yeah, uh, we like a uh, really strong retail. Uh, I mean, you know, frankly, uh, really, really high velocity and really low, small um total door count, right? Okay, uh, yeah. For pure revenue, we like businesses that are at least a minimum of 10 million a year revenue or more. We don't have institutional backers, and so that gives us a lot of leeway in how we can structure a deal. Mm -hmm. It gives us a lot of leeway. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I can only invest in Series B or later. I can only invest in Seed and Series A. It's, uh, I, we can invest in anything. The last two businesses we invest in, I, one was doing uh, 20 million a year and another was doing 580 million a year ARR. Wow. So, uh, wow. there's a Big lot gap. of leeway there. We're, yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, definitely more kind of, uh, opportunity, uh, driven than we are, um, trying to, uh, fit a bunch of different, um, upfront metrics. Um, but yeah, I mean, with, you know, there's been a big, uh, we have some digitally native companies that, uh, it's, we had this conversation last week too, where it feels like they've gone like uh, full circle, right? Because it's so hard to acquire customers now with the iOS update that um, right. they're like building out brick and mortar storefronts and they're back to like, that's how you, the original way to acquire a customer, right? Sure. Oh yeah. Hundreds of years, you know, have a store and people walk in and buy new products. And so, um, 
Yeah, so we're, we're seeing a, a, an emphasis on that. But if I'm, um, you know, if, if, if there's a, a beverage that's only sold in 7-Eleven, but it's the number one selling beverage within that category, and they just got into Target, uh, but they still have, you know, a limited number of retailers to expand to, we love to see that. If they're, um, you know, posting really high velocities and, Austin and the same people are coming in and buying it again and again. And then they're also doing that in uh, Colorado. And then now they're about to expand into California. And we can see that it, that uh, the brand is kind of traveling to other states and putting up similar numbers. And we, we love to uh, have an entry point uh, at that time also. Makes a ton of sense. That reminds me of, uh, I'm sure you know the Super Coffee guys, but yeah. their story, I've had Jordan on here a couple of times. And uh, they always talked about, in the, in the early days, how important it was once you got one door, you didn't move on to the next door until you were crushing it at that door. And that meant in-store demos. That meant basically anything and everything to help not just get product on the shelf, but move product off the shelf and then move on to the next retailer or the next door even in that retailer. Um, really interesting. That That's important. I mean, you know, uh, we love to give high fives whenever you get on shelf, but uh, we love to give you a big bear hug whenever you get it back off the shelf, meaning velocity. And so uh, that, yeah, that, that's, uh, we love, we love that strategy kind of inch wide, mile deep. And uh, cause you learn a lot and they're uh, not expensive learnings. You know, one of the big red yeah. flags us is when we come in and the company doesn't have much of a track record and they roll out a, you know, here's, here's our nationwide platform that we're moving to. It's like, man, that sounds really, really expensive and, and really, really risky. Definitely. Yeah. Part of my, my past life, I led uh, like revenue management or like trade spend management at RX. And it was always just so eye opening to me, especially if you're like at RX's level, you know, we were, we had a big business. So being able to manage ebbs and flows of trade spend that was not expected that came in or um, expired product, just issues with product. Like we were able to take some of those bumps, but for brands that are just smaller uh, more nimble, especially the ones that I talk to that don't have the margins. When I hear they're going into these massive national uh, retail plays. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It always feels like a, a big red flag. I'm like, just, you know, you want to be careful. I always say like, even if your pricing feels right when you're going in, there's so many unexpected things that are going to come back and you're going to be billed for guaranteed. I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot that you don't plan for. Um, very interesting. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, it's a lot better when that issue happens in one market than it is when that small issue just happened in 40 different markets. It's like, right. Geez. Right. Okay. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, definitely. So definitely, definitely. Well, awesome. Um, Blake with the last few minutes here, I have a couple questions. I love to ask every guest that comes on the podcast. I think you're going to, you're going to have some good ones. I'm excited for um, the first one is source of knowledge. So someone who's very dialed into this industry, if you have a, a podcast, a book, an article, something you've read recently that you'd like to recommend to the audience listening today. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I read a lot, uh, uh, about the Stoics, right. And so, uh, the obstacle is the way Ron holiday, um, uh, great book. Um, yeah, I'm from, for better or worse, I consume a lot of information off uh, Twitter. And, okay. Uh, so it's kind of, um, I, but that's that's been kind of like the last probably six months. And so I'm considering doing like a, 
uh, Twitter purge to see if maybe it, I can't tell if it's like the environment and it, every news seems bad, right? And so yeah. I was kind of looking for the boogeyman, but, um, I'm, you know, I think I may, uh, may just delete the app for a little bit and see, oh, if I like it, that. see if, see if the happiness and joy kind of increases a little bit or if it's truly, you know, all these things going on in the world today, uh, continue to hover over us. So that's a good one. Cause I, I feel like the same way with, uh, I don't read any mainstream news. Like I don't watch news, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, but I have like just the Google news app, which I know just knowing Google, I mean, that is so curated. Like yeah. especially if I'm, if I'm on the for me, it's definitely, it's all algorithm based. So it's not necessarily like headlines. It's just what it thinks I want to click on. So I need to do the same thing. I need to just put it all away. I think that'd be a healthy thing to do. Blake, we'll both do it. Maybe January. We both just get rid of the, the social media and Google news. That's great. Um, that's awesome. The second one. So, you know, knowing you run a, a very successful and very busy firm, um, what do you use day to day to plan goals and, and really ultimately get shit done? So are you a pen and paper kind of guy? Do you use some sort of app calendar? What are like your key tools that you use to manage your life? Love it. Yes. I'm, I'm an old school guy. I'm a, uh, you know, uh, the faintest of pen is sharper than the mightiest of source or whatever it is. It's, uh, I'm, you know, I do a couple things, right. I, uh, at the beginning of each year, cause that always feels like a, a good, uh, kind of, uh, take inventory of your life assessment of your life. I'm a big believer in you're most like the five people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. So of course I have a, uh, incredibly strong, uh, intelligent, beautiful wife and, um, spend most of my time with her and our kids. But, um, Take inventory of my friends, right? And, and who I'm spending time with, who I'm going to dinners with, and um, uh, making sure those are the right people and their hearts are in the right place. And then uh, I tend to uh, take a little um, walk about out in uh, Marfa, Texas. Out, okay. Out Texas, and uh, get some windshield time, um, get out there and, and uh, do some journaling and uh, do some goal setting um, for the, the rest of the year. And I usually come back from that pretty revived and haven't missed much work because it's the turn of the year anyways, you know, but always feel super fresh. Uh, and then I do use a a handwritten calendar and, uh, uh, so that gets a little tight. We got three kids at three different schools now. So that gets a little tight when it's social and work. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, uh, and then I just use a a simple, you know, at one point I had a bunch of sticky notes everywhere and that was kind of driving me crazy. So, uh, at the end of the day, I, I sit down with just a standard note card and I say, here's the schedule for the next day. Here are the things that have to get done. And then here's kind of the stuff that, uh, if I do find some spare time, I'm, I'm going to go do this. So very nice. Just real and simple. Like most people have been trying to focus on, uh, you know, mental health and, um, uh, you know, meditation. I med- meditate is the only one that I never actually scratch off my list so that I remind of, it's like my personal reminder to add it to the next days. Uh, oh, I love that routine as well. And then, um, yeah. Do you have any sort of meditation do you use like an app or do you use, uh, any just, just no, the floor right over there. Yeah. Love it. Okay. No, that's great. That's a good one. I, uh, I've been using headspace for a while. Not that I'm like pro app or headspace or anything, but, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's one of the only things minus exercise and just general fitness that I, I've told people, I'm like, if you consistently meditate, it's you It's hard to explain the benefits, but you feel them. I, honestly, when I meditate, I feel like 
I feel like the days are 34 hours long and not 24 hours long. That's a great way to put it's it. It's like, and I'm, and even though it's taking time out of my day to do it, I, I'm just like, where did I get? And I don't know if it, cause it's providing clarity or a, a reprieve from the noise or what it is, but I just feel like I have so much extra time. Uh, yeah. That's when a, I do it. So. That's a fantastic way to describe it. I love that. Um, Blake, very last one here for anyone who wants to learn more about you, learn more about access capital, or I don't know if you want necessarily throw out anything for someone to get a hold of you, but if you want to want to offer that up to you to plug that in. Yeah. Uh, you know, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I will say we're historically taken somewhat of kind of a crouching tiger, uh, uh, mentality. We don't have a, uh, website, you know, there's, uh, a few people that I really admire here in Dallas that have great businesses that literally they just have a landing page. And, um, so we don't have a, anything super elaborate like that. I'm on uh, social media and then, um, LinkedIn is probably the, the easiest way. I, uh, didn't start LinkedIn until probably a year ago and okay. it's the okay. easiest way to kind of reach out. And if it's something that we're interested in, then we'll reach back with personal email address and then follow up. Very cool. Well, Blake, yeah. thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you and getting to talk to you over the last hour. It was really, really nice to uh, to finally make the, the connection live. And uh, let's definitely stay in touch. This is awesome. Yeah, Shane, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely see you at uh, Expo West, it sounds like. Uh, definitely. Is- yeah, I'm going to have a little I'm gonna have a little one. We're, having, we're expecting our first in January. So that'll probably that – I- thank you. Thank you. Very excited. So, yeah, we're, we're excited. That'll probably be my first trip. So – um, nice. I'm excited. Very, very excited. Yeah, you'll be, you'll be asleep. You'll be asleep at the hotel by like 8 PM, you know, a hundred percent. Well, that's awesome. If you're ever in Dallas, uh, yeah, please reach out. Definitely. I definitely will. Awesome. Well, thank you, Blake. It was a pleasure meeting you. And, uh, and again, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Shane. All right. See All ya. Right.